Welcome to Baseball Biz. We're glad you're able to join us here today. We've got a very special guest, Mr. Phil Toronto. Phil has been a baseball agent with PTSG, that's the Primetime Sports Group, now for a few years. He's been agent and also the president of the company. Another thing to know about Phil is he's got quite a bit of history with working with sports too. He refers to himself as a baseball lifer, and after talking with him, you'll understand why. So let's get started. It's great having you here, Phil. You've got quite a good background. I mean, you've had what? You've had this business going on now for about six years. Is that is that accurate? Uh, yeah, been uh, been in the business uh, a little over eleven years, but uh, I've actually been a full time agent for the last uh, going to be seven years now. Correct. Well, I'm I'm I'll tell you what. I know today we're going to talk about the evolution of a ball player, you know, and how they go from maybe high school and being recognized to getting into the show. But I also want to talk, you know, a little bit maybe about becoming that agent because you yourself, what started out, I know you've had some marketing background, but you've also had some coaching background as well. No, I was going to say, I, I spent a lot of years uh, obviously playing the game and, and then a uh, majority of my adulthood uh, coaching the game and then uh, came into the uh, agency world as well. You talk about apple pie, mother, and baseball. I mean, that's that's what America is. And I think that's what a lot of us grew up with. I mean, I was very fortunate where I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. There was a place called Shively Park. And over there, they had like five or six diamonds. And there was games always being played in, you know, in the summertime, different age groups, different coaches. And it was, it was fun. It was part of who we are. That's where we spent, you know, growing up was baseball. I loved it. And I look at that. And I see these young men who want to come up to this dream of playing in the show, you know, who want to be out there and thinking, how does that get started? You know, I have no clue. I mean, I was, I, I love watching on TV. I love look, analyzing some of it with, with the business aspect of it. You know, you've, you've been there through your whole life with it. You've been there as a coach as well and, and mentoring some people. Kind of give me, if you will, you know, where that starts with, you know, who, who do they see? When are they first recognized? So if you've, you're a, got a student, say, at your high school and you're a coach there, and this kid's outstanding, what, what happens? Well, first off, it, it starts with a drive. It starts with um, a drive and a passion for the love of the game. You know, it takes a lot of determination. It takes a lot of effort and passion to kind of mold yourself into a good prospect, okay? And what I mean by that passion is, you know, while other guys are playing video games, these guys are out there on the field and they're, they're grinding. They're, you know, they're taking their fungos, they're doing their bullpens, they're running, they're at the gym. They're doing all the necessary things that it's going to take to make it to the next level, i.e. either college or pros. You know, we have some of the best colleges in, in the country uh, right here in South Florida, uh, where I'm based out of, that look for pers- uh, specific prospects like that that are taking the extra initiative. They're at the field every day. They're at the gym. They're getting bigger, faster, and stronger, and they're doing all the things necessary to become a collegiate league athlete and then hopefully work their way into the pros. Um, So it it starts with a determination and a passion. And once you get to that and you really can dedicate your life to this game on a a seven-day-a-week basis, 365 days out of the year, and I even say 367 because there's always an extra time that you got to be out there, probably more than somebody else that's not looking to take your job. So uh, you know we're we're trying we're trying to uh, guide those guys to understand what it takes to be a pro athlete or collegiately uh, level athlete. 
just determination and hard work. Looking at that, then the the passion, the enthusiasm, and all that, and this player who evolves up, how how do they get recognized? You know, who who are the people that come in and do that? It's, I mean, if they're out there in some small little town playing, and they real there's really no way that it's being communicated out in the large media. How does that come to the attention of certain people, and and what's that path? Well, I always like to say the scouts will always find talent. They uh, they find those field of dreams somehow. And the field of dreams are guys, you know, in a, in a little town in Iowa or a little town in Illinois or wherever it may be, scouts are going to find talent. It's very important. Scouts are huge to this game. Um, as much as the game has evolved into an analytic-driven basis, their scouts are still needed. Scouts are still needed to see what kind of player they are on and off the field, in the dugout, how their work ethic is off the field, you know, how much they're going to the gym, get that personalization with them, talking to them, more than a computer can do. And I know we're in the analytic. I'm not 100% anti-analytics. I believe it's an important part of our game for sure. But I also believe that scouts are very important to our game as well. Um, So many scouts, unfortunately, have been uh, laid off, but due to a lot of these circumstances that we're in currently right now. But the game has evolved, and and it's evolved into this computer-driven, analytic-driven partake in the game and organizations are, are understanding that, but there's still scouts are needed to find those, those areas where aren't really as popular, you know, Florida, everybody knows Florida, everybody knows Georgia, everybody knows Texas, California area. Uh, Midwest is becoming a very hot spot these days. So, you know, these, these areas are, are great, but there's always that one kid that you might find in some, some town that nobody ever heard of that, you know, rises out of the cornfields and, and all of a sudden becomes you know, a pro ball player and make it to the big leagues one day. And it's a great story. And, you know, scouts are needed to find us. So what you're saying with, as far as like the scouts, yeah, they make a, a major impact on that. They're the ones who, who can do a lot of that discovery. Yes. Analytics are out there. Yes. We can learn some things from them, but I guess you also, a scout can see kind of the commitment. They can see, well, the excellence of that player, not just what they're able to do on that field, but once they step off of there as well, they, are they able to communicate with those players or is it just they're able to eyeball from afar? No, absolutely. They're able to communicate with players and families and see what the goals are of that particular player. A lot of times during a season, you know, they'll have ample time to speak to them, whether it be prior to the season starting or, you know, at courses of, you know, areas where it might be a slower week than others. Um, and they, you know, they have their interview processing with, with uh, each individual player. A lot of times they lean on the coaches and they lean on advisors uh, to kind of get gather in those well, but uh, see how the player's been doing. If they're not able to cover that particular area at one point in time, you know, they do lean on the players and, and, and speak to them. And, you know, they want to find out the makeup of the player and what is, again, what his goals are. And, you know, does he want to become a pro player? Does he want to finish college? Does he want to uh, go from high school to college and, and, you know, has no interest in becoming a, dr- a draft pick that year out of high school? There's a, lot of, there's a lot of intel that they have to find out, you know, from, from the player itself. Well, that's good because, I mean, a lot of times I just thought, well, they, they can't approach that person. They can look at them, but they can't say anything to them. But I'm glad to hear that there's actually some communication going on at that level because otherwise it sounds like, you know, well, we just much like the analytics, we can tell something, but we really don't know the depth of that particular individual. So I'm glad to see that takes place. Well, then take me to the next step. With the scout going ahead and seeing the players, some analytics, all that information being brought in, who does the scout communicate that to? Do they work with an agent? Do they work with a team? 
what happens after that scout has evaluated and said, this kid's it, this kid needs to be up there? You know, there's a lot of different kind of trials and, and uh, steps that kind of go along with it. You know, a scout comes in, they see a player, uh, sometimes they're not the final decision. Cross-checkers have to come in, national cross-checkers have to come in. All those kind of steps have to take place before a kid really gets onto the radar up of the up top of uh, the organization saying that this is a guy that we, we would consider to potentially draft in that draft year or wherever the case may be. So there's a lot of different steps to kind of get to that point. But um, when, when that decision has been made and he becomes, quote unquote, a prospect for that year's draft, yeah, there's there's talks between advisors because we're not we're not agents until they're into the pros. We're advisors. We are right. advisors to the family, to the player. Um, you know, so there is talks between the advisor and, and the uh, local scout or cross checker or player development, whoever, national cross checker. And then uh, you know, as the draft gets closer, you know, really just the determination of where the family's at. Do they want to continue on with education, or they do they want to forego their future into pro baseball? And then that's kind of the stuff that's relayed. Uh, to the organization at that point in time and where the family and, and the players sit at that point in time and, and if pro ball is something they want to pursue. Well, that's, I mean, it's good. It's not like there's a lot of give and take and like you said, a lot of qualification, not just one person, but cross checkers, et cetera. Maybe given that family that's in that young student a chance to understand what the, the reality is. I know being, coming from Kentucky, also a basketball fan, needless to say, between Louisville and UK, but it was always interesting, and in recent years, seeing like Kentucky where Coach Cal Perry, he's able to take a freshman and says, yeah, come play with me for a year or two, and you're going to go to the pros. And that kid is drafted, and he is on a pro team by what would be his junior year in college. So the transition for the creme de la creme, if you will, from college to the pros is one step. But when we're looking in baseball, and we're looking traditionally, not this year, but traditionally, what, 40 rounds with 30 teams, so at least 1,200 players, and in some cases, because some what uh, free agency, there may be some more involved with that. The expectation, how do you allow a conversation with a player? How should it go when you're talking about their expectations being maybe one of 1,200 in that year? Um, you know, basically what I like to tell people that I'm helping out throughout the courses of the uh, draft process is, you know, you, you kind of can't take anything for granted. Right. Um, you want to go in there, you want to give it your all focus on what you can control and let everything else kind of fall into place. You know, if you have a good season and you're one of those names that are kind of in that shuffle of those 1200 people, just go out there and continue to have a good season and, and, and the rest will kind of fall into place. Now, again, you mentioned this year was a little bit shortened scenario. So a lot of kids that didn't even get a chance to kind of perform at all uh, to kind of put their name on the radar for a 40-round draft. But, you know, in, in years past, it's always been focus on what you can control. Do your job. Be a good teammate. Good, be a good player on and off the field. And then let every let the chips fail, uh, fall where they may. And if you do that, a lot of times you're going to have some success. I'm not saying it happens all the time. I've seen plenty of guys that have had good years, uh, three or four good years in, in college situations and never get their name called. So it, it does tend to get very hard. It's not an easy sport. You know, you mentioned you go from basketball to the pros, you know, from a college level to a pro level right away. And I like that with baseball. There's years of 
minor league baseball and rookie ball and, and instructional leagues and fall leagues and, and, and winter ball and all those things that kind of go into it before you might get a snip of the grass of a Yankee stadium or, or a Dodger stadium or Red Sox or whatever the case may be. So whatever team, you know, takes that chance on you. So it's a very long drawn out process. And it's a lot of, again, hard work, determination, and passion. The guys that work hard uh, give themselves somewhat of a chance to get to that top next level. Uh, the ones that don't, we'll see things not go the way. They- Hang on. We, we lost the call for a second. Oh, we're back. Good. Um, so yeah, so the determination and the passion that kind of goes along with everything from the season as it unfolds also pertains to which, where you're going to be at, hopefully when the, the, the day the draft comes around, you know what I mean? And, and, if you, and if you stay on that course, hopefully you give yourself a good chance of success during that draft period. And I mean, and if you think about it, there's a lot of good hungry players out there. You, there wouldn't have been 160 what 160 some odd um, minor league teams out there that were feeders mm-hmm. into MLB, and as you and I know, the way things are changing, that may that number may be greatly reduced here within a year or so. And, and you look to what, like the Mexican League, that was that was an amazing thing for me watching the Rays this past year, and watching Mister Davis come up, that speedy, speedy guy. That was amazing, and they mm-hmm. pulled him up from the Mexican League, you know, later in the year. And it's like what. Or did this go? Yeah. Do you have to, do, are you working beyond just here? Are you looking in Dominican Republic? Do you have Mexico in there? How, how far reaching, you know, is, is your work? Where, is, where does it take you? I go everywhere. Um, you know, internationally, as, as far as the eye can see and uh, as far as the plane will go. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I, wherever there's talent, we're looking. You know, I, I'm... I've always based my career on is, you know, nobody's going to knock on your door and say, hi, I'm here. I want to, you know, I want you to represent me. So you got to go and and you got to keep your eyes open and your ears to the ground and continue that, that traveling instinct of, okay, there's something over there I need to go see. And hopefully I get to it before somebody else does. Well, well, walk me through that. Once you've found these folks, once that they've come up, maybe through the draft and a team has selected them in one of the rounds. Is that when the agent actually steps in? I mean, it goes from advisor to agent once that, that draft is taking place? Yes, sir. Um, so once, once they've actually officially passed physicals and got through all the integrated part of now being drafted into signing their pro professional contract, their first pro professional contract, uh, what they call a minor, minor league UPC uh, uniform player contract, once they do that, then we have now officially acted as we officially act as the agent. We set and then sign our contracts, and um, which are year terms, and you know we go to work. You know, a lot of people will say, "Okay, well now, what 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 work do you have to do?" They just got drafted, and you know, there's a lot of work. <laughs> um, you know, speaking with development people and seeing where the player lies, and you know where he could fall within a, in a level at that point in time. Following, because you know they're not playing a full year once they get drafted. They're really only playing a half a season because half the season's already over. You know, minor baseball has already started by the time those guys have gotten drafted. So uh, there's short season and there's uh, Arizona uh, League and there's uh, Gulf Coast League, which is here in Florida. So those leagues are going, uh, will start to begin as the new new line of guys start to come in uh, from a draft standpoint. And once that starts, then yeah, then, you know, there's, there's all kinds of different things to do, you know, learning, you know, getting these guys situated into a clubhouse, getting their gear and their, and their tools that they need to be successful on the field. 
you know, you know, that starts the day they get drafted. You know, I actually have a guy right now who will be signing or be taking his first physical uh, tomorrow uh, with the club that, that uh, signed him uh, after the, the draft. You know, he is going to be, you know, probably sitting at home for a little while now, but uh, he'll, he'll be getting, he'll be getting, you know, a physical done and, and everything done before he signs this pro contract and then he'll sign mine. So again, the physical is a step up, and I don't think necessarily everybody thinks so. And all right, well, one of the things I was looking at too, I've seen some pitchers. I won't mention a name because I, I don't want to get a specific pitcher or a specific agent involved. But there is a pitcher who I've seen evolve with a team, and mm-hmm. I'm thinking, okay, this guy's in the matters, and they're doing taxi service with him. They bring him up, he bring him down, bring him up, bring him down. He's to become into the majors for that six years before he becomes a free agent. How are they able to actually, you know, what is the measure? Because they have to work X number of days before they can get up there. That's one question. The other is that if they are a talent, a guy who may be not today in the five-man rotation of a major league team, but, you know, he's he could be a reliever sometimes or maybe he could be number eight of, you know, when you're looking at somebody who actually have a rotation. So short-term, a lot of times I see where – a pitcher or another player has been given a signing bonus. And I guess that's to get them through the, the days of, in the minor leagues when they're making virtually, you know, very minimal, almost nothing. How does it work? I mean, so you've got that player. What, what is a, is that just something where you sit down once you already had the player agreeing with you, then you sit down across the table from, the, the team and say, Hey, we know this guy's got talent. We know you're not going to put him live first year. How does it go? Well, you know, the way the draft is set up now, it's, it's pretty much a slotted situation. So guys are getting uh, slotted bonuses uh, depending on the round that they get selected for the first 10 rounds. Uh, each, each individual organizations has, you know, up to 10 picks, maybe a little bit more because of guys that they traded or free agency or stuff like that and, and moves they've made off off season right. um, and gain extra picks, what they call the compilation rounds and, and compensation rounds, A and B. And so once you kind of get through round two, then three through 10 and, and one and two, obviously still same thing. They have slotted numbers for each one of those rounds. And then of course, three through 10, same thing. Uh, every organization is getting their pick in that round they have a certain amount of money that they're allowed to give to a particular player, whether it be high school or college. And that works. It's all the way, way through to round 10. And then after that, from rounds 11 through 20, uh, well, rounds 11 through 40, we're going to be in a 20 round situation here before you know it. But let's just say for argument's sake, we're back in 2019 and it's the draft. Right. And it's 11 right. through 40. From rounds 11 through 40, uh, we are, the clubs are up to $125,000 or, if they haven't spent the money that they were allotted for their entire pool and they had some extra money left over while signing those first 10 round guys, they could utilize that money in rounds 11 through 40. So if they wanted to give a guy $300,000 and they, and that club had $10 million and they only spent 8 million of the 10 million in rounds one through 10, then they have enough money to pay that extra guy in, in rounds 11 through 40. Uh, if they wanted to do that, some clubs don't. They just pay one through, you know, one twenty-five or even less. One twenty-five is technically the max if you have no money left. Right. If you have money left, then 
you can go above and beyond that. Now you can give a guy $5,000. You can give him $1,000. You can give him a bag of Cheetos and a plane ticket. You can give him whatever you want <laughs> at that point. But, uh, you know, at the, a lot of the guys are, that are trying to get drafted in rounds 11 through 40 usually are guys that, you know, might have just are unsure in the organization's eyes. Maybe they're, they're guys that are, you know, juniors or seniors in, 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 uh, in college. So they're looking to give them a little bit less or whatever the case may be. There's, there is a specific amount of money that they can give to the players. They can go above and beyond those numbers, but they, they have to stay within the realm pretty much. Wow. Well, I mean, it's, so there, there is some architecture there. I think sometimes we figure it's done with magic, you know? And, yeah. It's, it's not an easy thing to, to talk about in a half hour show. <laughs> no, uh, no, but, but it, it, it is an insight. Yeah, it's definitely a good insight to the way the draft works for a parent that maybe getting that listens to your show that maybe having a, a client that or a, a son who is getting ready to get into that situation um, understand that you know each club is designated a certain amount of money and the money they have to spend that particular year they're only allowed to spend that money if they go over they have to pay taxes and most teams don't want to go over so you know they're going to stay pretty strategic to the amount of money they have to spend within that year. Right. Well, well let me ask you another part, because you've, you've kind of touched on this as we've gone through this conversation. You have to look at what's best for that player, what you have to be there on their behalf. And those conversations early on with those parents too, and, and that player, what kind of, assur- not, I won't say assurances, what kind of steps are you taking to em- embrace that player, to make sure their future, that they're, they're being taken care of by, you know, the team or player development, that they're not just being forgotten. What, what are some of the things that uh, you as an agent, you know, do for that player? You know, when I first got started, I've been going up against the likes of guys like Scott Porras and, and um, the Aces and the MVPs of the world and Octagons and, and I'm Phil Trano or Primetime Sports Group. I had, a, I had to discover a niche for me that, that would work uh, and my niche is pretty simple my niche is is I care about my my clients I treat them as family members and everybody gets the same exact attention that they're expecting and I, I kind of emphasize that to the families um, I, I know it's cliche I'm not Jerry Maguire I only I don't have just one client um, <laughs> but I keep my, I keep my numbers down and I keep my numbers down to a point where I can give everybody the same attention okay I'm not going to be able to see them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's impossible for anybody to do that. But I give it to, I give them this, the assurity that I'm going to keep my roster numbers down so I can give them each the attention that they all need. And when you present that to a family there, you know, some people love it. Some people still want to be with Scott Boris. Scott Boris is a great agent. He's done a lot of good things. I have no complaints about Scott Boris. Uh, but I'm not Scott Boris. I didn't. I didn't get into this business to attempt to be Scott Boris. He's had his time. He's doing well with himself. God bless him. He's done everything right. Uh, I got into this business because I have a passion for helping people. I have a passion for the sport, and I have a dedication. The same like the players have to have when they're on the right. field and they're training to get into that point. My passion is helping people. I'm going to give you my all. Give you my hundred percent in into your career into your goals. What I ask is that you give it to me. I'm going to be there for you. you got to keep the communication lines going. We have to be on the same. Uh, organizations could tell 
players some things that they don't tell agents right away because the players in front of them quicker than, than we are in front of them. So, you know, I, I ask that the communication always stays uh, tip top and that I'm going to facilitate the same, you know, organization tells me something about one of my players. I'm on the phone with them, but that player immediately after I'm off the phone with it, with the organization. Again, the assurance that I give the families, the players, and everybody involved in this situation is that I'm there for them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You're not getting my secretary. You're not getting um, my voicemail. You're getting me. You can text me at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'll probably answer it. You can call me at 10 o'clock at night, and I'll probably answer the phone. Um, and if I didn't answer, I'm going to call you right back. You know, So that's the assurance you're getting from me. You know, Yes, I have an office, but I don't have a, a person manning my phones. My cell phone is my office. My car is my office. Uh, you know, you need me at any time of the day, I'm there for you. Well, you communicate that very well here, and I'm sure you do, obviously, with to the players and families that you're there. I, I know looking at your website, you talk about, you don't talk about the, the team or you don't talk about people. You talk about the family on there, and that, that really struck with me, too. That's really struck a chord, and I think it obviously does with people who, who meet you and talking about their, <clears throat> their their careers as well. So, wow, wow, Phil, you, you've got a lot you've been doing. And I, I think it's interesting. I think a lot of people don't realize, you know, they think, with one, either they think the Jerry Maguire or two, they think of a Scott Boris maybe swooping in with a contract and that's it. And they don't see anything in between. They don't see what's, you know, what is the reality of what you have to do every day as, as a sports agent. And I mean, looking to, of course, with ptsportsgroup.com, that's where people, if they want to find out more about you and discover a little bit about what happens with your players as well. That's there. I want to remind folks too, if they're looking for you on Twitter, your handle is at PT sports group. So Phil, they can find you there as well. Is there any parting words or anything in particular you'd like to share with the audience? Uh, no, I just want to thank you uh, for having me on your show. It's been an honor to um, be interviewed by you and, and speak to you a little bit and give you my perception of how the agency world works. Uh, like I said, I'm not Jerry Maguire, never tend to be Jerry Maguire or Scott Boris. I intended to be Phil Soprano at prime time. And uh, if you're looking for a great family environment, um, you know, look us up. We'll, we'll be happy to help you. Well, Phil, again, thank you very much, buddy. I, I can't thank you enough. Wish you and your folks uh, continued success. And during these trying times, everybody stay safe. Thank you very much, Mark. I appreciate it. All right. You've been listening to Baseball Biz. I'm Mark Carbett, your host. I want to thank Phil Toronto again for joining us from Primetime Sports Group. Great interview, and I look forward to talking with again with Phil in the future. Thanks again, and remember, you can find us on Baseball Biz on virtually every directory, whether it be iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, etc. Thanks again, everybody, and we'll see you again real soon. <laughs>